Welcome, guys, to Downtown Arbor Church. If it is your first time here, welcome. Appreciate you checking us out. Uh, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor around here. And uh, today we are in week four, actually coming down near the end of this series, but we're in week four of this series that we're calling The God's Honest Truth. And what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is we've just been taking a look at these moments in time and throughout time, and even in our own lives, when Jesus sort of steps in to expose the God's honest truth to us. And we've been defining the God's honest truth as these truths about God or about the world or even about ourselves. And these truths, they could be brand new, that we hear them, it just blows our mind and it changes the way that we, we see the world and even think about ourselves. Um, these could be truths that perhaps we were taught as children. And maybe we have forgotten about them, or perhaps we've even ignored them. Or they could be truths about God or the world or ourselves that we just, mm, we don't want to believe that they are true. And every week we've been looking at these moments when Jesus would drop the God's honest truth onto someone. And those individuals who had the courage to embrace that truth, they saw firsthand that it could change the direction and the quality of their lives. That truth could really set them free. So today we have a great story. This is really one of the finest stories, I think, in all of scripture, you know, at least in the New Testament. But before we get into the story, I want to talk to you about the issue, shall we say, at hand, sort of the, the thing that is at the root of the conversation that we're going to be listening into today, because this is an issue that every single one of us deals with at some point in our lives. And this issue is rooted all the way back to something that happened in the beginning of time, when God created this world, back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And, and so when God created humans, what he did is he created us to be in relationship with him. This was the goal for this world, for us to coexist with God and for us to live with him. And in the Garden of Eden, that happened. I mean, to a degree, that happened. Adam and Eve, as you go back and you read in Genesis, they were able to speak with God one-on-one. -on -one. They were able to walk with God. I mean, as much as God can walk, but he was in the garden with them. So they were coexisting and, and everything was perfect. Everything was great. And then we messed it up. We sinned and we broke that relationship. And as a result, God kicked Adam and kicked Eve out of the garden. And so sin really did put a distance between mankind and God. And the truth is, we, to this very day, feel that distance. There, there, there is something deep-seated inside each and every single one of us that can sense that great divide. There, it sometimes feels like an ache. Um, it might feel like a longing a void, perhaps even an emptiness. There's just something that feels off. Just, it just, it feels like there's something missing. Well, Jesus described it as a thirst. Now here's the problem. We as humans, we can sense this thirst, but we don't really know why we're thirsty. We don't, we don't know the root cause of this thirst. And so we do the best that we can. We, we, we try various methods to kind of quench this thirst so to speak. And well, some of us look to other people to quench this thirst. We might look to family or friends. You might look to a boss, uh, perhaps a teacher, 
You might even look to your spouse or, or your children. And we look to these people in our lives. We look to them for approval. We look to them for affirmation. And if we can just get that approval, if we can just get that affirmation, then, then I'm going to be okay. I can, I can quench that thirst. Now, some of us, we might look to possessions to quench that thirst. And if I can just get that new car, right? if I can just get that new house with that, with that new kitchen, if I can just get those new shoes or the new watch, or the new bag or that new boat, I mean, we are in Fort Lauderdale. If I can just get those things, then I can, I can quench this thirst. I can, I can fill this void that I feel. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be okay. Or maybe, maybe some of us look to positions and we put all of our effort into getting that promotion or getting that job or building that empire, just getting more power and amassing more power. I mean, it could be anything. I mean, it could be food. It could be sex. It could be alcohol. I mean, it could be exercise. Just these various methods that we try to quench our thirst. And the truth is we are just never fully able to quench that thirst and to meet that need. So today we're going to be looking at an amazing story where Jesus shines the God's honest truth into a woman's life and helps her connect the dots between her unquenchable thirst and a series of relationships that have quite frankly left her even more thirsty. So today's story picks up in John chapter 4. We're going to jump in at verses 3. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up. But as always, it will be on the screen. So John begins by letting us know that he, speaking of Jesus, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, notice how it says that he had to go through Samaria on the way. Uh, so if you're a, a Jewish person, in the first century, and now you've gotten your hands on the Gospel of John, you're, you're at some church that is reading this to you, and you hear this, your initial reaction is to say, mm, no, he, you, you don't have to go to Samaria when you're going from Judea up to Galilee. In fact, historical documents let us know that Jews avoided Samaria at all costs. Because the Jews and the Samaritans, they were like the Hatfields and the McCoys, okay? It was like the, the Capulets and the Montagues. I mean, not really, but they just, they didn't like each other. And in fairness, the Jews really hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans, I think, just hated the Jews because they hated them. But the Reader's Digest with who the sort of Samaritans are, and we don't need to get into all the nitty-gritty detail, but the Samaritans are the end result sort of the end product, if you will, of Jewish people having married non-Jewish people. So back in time, this area was conquered and these Jews began to marry people that were no longer Jewish and now their descendants are the Samaritans. So they're no longer pure-blooded Jews and that's a problem for Jews. Now, because these Samaritans began to marry folks from other cultures and different religions, while they would practice Judaism as far as they were concerned, the Judaism that they were practicing was not orthodox. They, they, as Jesus will teach us today, they were doing a lot of stuff that was wrong. So much so that they did not worship at God's temple down in Jerusalem. They had their own temple 
that they worked at. So because of all of this stuff, Jewish people avoided Samaria at all costs. In fact, when a Jewish person was making the trek that Jesus was making from Judea to Galilee, we know that they would go around Samaria. They would take the long, circuitous route just to avoid this area. And, and so when John tells us that he had to go, we know it wasn't because it was the only route that he could take. Rather, as we're soon going to see, Jesus had to go there for a divine appointment with a woman who was thirsty. Story continues. It says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. These are important details, just not for us today. Continues. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now that's an important detail. So just file that away for a second. Because soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Okay, let's stop. Because this right here, this is a big red flag that we just need to talk about. So at this time, talking first century, um, in this part of the world, at this time, it was the woman's job to get water. Men had certain jobs, women had other jobs. We know historically that the women were in charge of getting the water. And we know that the women would get the water very early in the morning. Because it's a part of the world where it gets very hot, they would go in the morning when it was cool. Additionally, we know that women would go in groups, not just for protection, but for camaraderie. There was a social aspect to getting this water. But all of a sudden, we have this Samaritan woman here who's going to get water all by herself. And at the hottest time of the day, she's going at noon. And, and, and you're left asking, well, what's up with that? What's going on there? Why is, why is what's happening in this woman's life? Well, the reason she's going at this time and the reason she's going by herself, we'll soon find out, is that this woman had a past. In fact, we're going to learn that she was married five times. Now, in our culture, in 2021, being married five times, that's still a lot of times. But back then, that was, that was unheard of. And furthermore, we're going to learn that she's actually just living with a guy right now. And so we don't know what happened to these marriages. We don't, we don't know if it was something she did. We don't know if it was something the husbands did. But what we do know is that she's the common denominator. And she has gotten herself into this cycle of going from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next. And, and perhaps because she is just so dismayed from having these marriages fall apart on her, she, it seems like she's just given up on the idea of marriage altogether and she's just living with a guy. And so because of her life decisions, that has made her an outcast in this society. And so to avoid the judgy stares, to, to avoid the sort of snarky comments, she goes alone at the hottest time of the day because life has left her thirsty. So she shows up and Jesus says to her, please give me a drink. Now he was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So there's a lot going on right here. And as Americans, we just read this and we just kind of go right past it. We don't think much about it. But if you're a first century Jew and you read this, you're going to be shocked. 
you would almost be scandalized by what's going on here because Jesus is breaking any number of social mores. He's breached a gender barrier. The, the Jewish Talmud, which are a list of rules and regulations outside of scripture, but heavily influenced Jewish culture. The Jewish Talmud strictly forbid men from even greeting women in public. And the Talmud said that any man who speaks to a woman brings evil upon himself. So we got that. Additionally, Jesus breaches a moral barrier. Now, the reality of the situation is this. As much as it pains us to, to admit this, this woman is seen as someone of ill repute, shall we say. And no self-respecting Jew would be caught in her presence, especially when they're alone. And lastly, as we've already kind of discussed, he's breaching an, ethic, um, an ethnic barrier. Right? The, the Jews and the Samaritans, they just did not mix. So Jesus is really just batting a thousand on this one, all right? Whatever that means, all right? Someone later is going to be, that's not what batting a thousand means. Whatever, not interested, okay? All, it just, this is all kinds of wrong in Jesus is stand, um, by the standards of those days. And this woman picks up on this. And so she says to him, you're a Jew. She could tell by his dress and by the way that he speaks. She goes, you're, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, no less. Why are you asking me for a drink? I mean, she is just shocked by this man's behavior and the way that he carries himself. And then Jesus says something that sort of sets up the conversation for the day, not just ours, but the one he's about to have. And, and what he says next is borderline cryptic, okay? And, and, and it's what makes this whole passage sort of an, an English major's dream. Because Jesus challenges and, and forces this woman and us to think at multiple levels simultaneously and to think at greater depths. He really challenges the way that we think when he speaks. And so he says to this woman, if you only knew the gift, and I love that word, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me. And I would give you living water. This is, this is a pregnant passage, so to speak, if I've ever seen one, meaning there's just a lot going on right here. Now, if you're a Christian in the room, if you've, you know, we know Jesus. And so I think we can kind of suss out what he's driving at here when he says this, but based on her response, and we're going to get to that in a second, but based on her response to what Jesus had just said here, there are many that believe that what Jesus said went right over her head. Just, she's completely ignorant. She has no idea what the heck he's talking about. But I don't think I agree with that. At least not fully. Because I've got to imagine that when she saw this man, she had to have realized there was something different about him. You sort of see that in the Gospels, that when people are in Jesus' presence, there's just, there's just something different that they, that they can sense. And I've just got to imagine that at some level she realized he had to have been talking about something more than just water. But what he was talking about, she doesn't exactly know yet. Coming together, but not yet. And so she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater? 
than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? So we can see that she can sense that Jesus is offering her something better than what she currently has, but what exactly that is, she's not sure yet. So Jesus replies, anyone who drinks this water, and anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. Jesus isn't talking about water anymore, is he? In fact, he's beginning to lay the groundwork for what will become the most important conversation of this woman's life. He is alluding to, in this moment, he is alluding to something in her life that she keeps returning to like this water and like this well. And it's not satisfying her thirst. That like this well, it might hit the spot, so to speak. It might hit the spot for that day, but it just, it never lasts. And soon you're thirsty again. He says, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And if you were here two weeks ago, we learned that Jesus defines eternal life not as just some place you go when you die to live forever. Rather, eternal life is a relationship with your heavenly father and his son, Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, by this well, under this hot blazing sun, Jesus is offering this woman a relationship, a relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden. And this relationship is unlike any relationship she's ever had. This relationship would meet her needs. It would fill that longing and it would quench her thirst. And so she leaps at the offer. She says, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. She's understanding exactly what he's talking about. And I won't have to come here to get water. Ah, so close. Okay. Just, we're almost there. Just, she still doesn't fully get it yet. But what you can see in her response is like, it's there's hope all of a sudden. She, She can sense that life can be It doesn't always have to be the way that she's always been living her life. It's a great moment for her. And then Jesus does something. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, without any kind of notice, he says something that completely catches her off guard, and it knocks the wind right out of her. He looks at her and says, go, get your husband. No, Jesus, don't go there. Please don't go there, Jesus. But he goes there. In fact, he goes right there. He makes a beeline to that wound and he pulls off that scab. And he takes her back to that thing that she doesn't want to talk about. All that pain, all that baggage. I mean, it's the reason she's out there in the heat. It's, it's the reason that she feels like an outcast. It's, it's the reason she's there all alone. I mean, she could defend it if she had to, but she doesn't want to. I don't have a husband. What else could she say? I don't have a husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. Oh, oh, it's too awkward. 
It's too bright. Dial it back, Jesus. Jesus, what are you doing to this poor woman? And what's more, he would say, you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And when Jesus says that you aren't even married to the man you're living with now, in the original Greek, he's indicating that somebody else is married to the man you're living with now. She's having an affair. I mean, what a mess. I mean, I don't know about you, but like your heart just breaks for this woman and just what has become her life. But in this moment, Jesus suddenly, very uncomfortably, very awkwardly, and extremely painfully puts her in touch with her thirst. By bringing up the husband's by bringing up all those relationships, that's his way of saying, life has left you thirsty, hasn't it? The decisions you've made, perhaps the decisions others have made, have left you thirsty. And you've asked me for the eternal water, the living water, and I'm gonna give it to you, but you need to own up to something first. Your attempts to quench your own thirst have not worked, have they? And this is just all too much for her. I mean, it really was. And so she just quickly tries to change the topic. She goes, sir, you know, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Basically, let's talk about theology rather than my past because that's too personal. That hits too close to home. That's too painful for me. Interestingly enough, Jesus allows her this diversion. Perhaps he could sense that she was just, she needed a breather from the truth that he's just shined into her life. And so he answers this question and, and he begins to, quite frankly, educate her about the various beliefs and really says why Jewish people are doing it right and the Samaritans are doing it wrong and she's listening. I mean, not really, but she's packing up her stuff. She collects her water jug and then she politely but dismissingly says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. In other words, let's agree to disagree because only God knows, right? Only the Messiah knows. Gotta go. See you when I see you, right? Got a little too close, Jesus. Got a little, a little too uncomfortable in here. I'll see you later. Thanks, but no thanks. And just as she was picking up her stuff and, and starting to leave, I just imagine Jesus saying, grabbing her arm and looking at her and saying, I am the Messiah. Now that stopped her dead in her tracks. See, this right here, this was the first time that Jesus publicly proclaims that he's the Messiah. Oh, Pharisees were always trying to trap him, trying to get him to admit something, to, to admit who he was or who he thought he was. But he makes this announcement the greatest announcement the world has ever heard. And he makes it to a Samaritan. He makes it to a woman with a messy life under the blazing sun in a part of the world that people avoid. And she sets down her water jar 
And she looks at him in the eyes and she just knew. She knew that he was telling the truth. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. This is like, a, like I was talking to Christina this week. It's like a scene at a movie. You know, the couple is finally going to have their first kiss. I mean, Jesus is not going to kiss her, but you know what I mean? They're about to have their first kiss and they're getting closer and closer and, and the drama is getting more and more and the doorbell rings, okay? And the stooges arrive over here. The disciples are in, all right? And as the audience, we're looking at this and we're like, oh my gosh, what is she going to say? How are you going to respond when this man has just announced that he's the Messiah? Well, John, who's the author of this particular gospel, he includes an amazing detail. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. I mean, how symbolic. Leaving that water jar, leaving behind her old life, setting aside that which only made her more thirsty in exchange for that which met her needs, filled that God-shaped hole in her heart, and quenched that thirst. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? To which some of the people said, sweetie, doesn't take a Messiah to know your past. I mean, we, right? Am I right? And the guys are high-fiving in the back and the women are kind of doing this. She is met with the same ridicule she's always known. I mean, this is why she goes to the well at high noon. This is why she avoids everybody and stays to herself. But this time, something was different. This time, she didn't shy away from the ridicule. This time, she didn't run. Something was different this time. There was no shame. Just peace. And those people, they couldn't explain it. But it was undeniable. And so the people came streaming. I love that word. People came streaming from the village to see him. I just picture hordes of people, right? Like Black Friday, right? Just running past each other and pushing each other because they got to they gotta meet the man that changed this woman. And the story concludes by saying that many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. This is one of the greatest stories in all scripture. It is filled with so many truths, but the reason I want to look at it today is because at some point in all of our lives, and it happens at different times for different people, but at some point in your life, at some point in all of our lives, we realized that we had a thirst. At some point, we started to feel that ache a distance, that, that void. And, and we tried to quench that thirst any way that we knew how. And we tried relationships, and we tried some more relationships, and we started doing some traveling. And we poured ourselves into work. We did this and we did that, and yet nothing, nothing fully quenched that thirst. Nothing filled that void. Nothing stopped that ache as hard as we tried to stop that ache. 
And in fact, if we're being honest, in our misguided attempts to quench our own thirsts, it only left us more thirsty. And in some cases, it left us with a mess on our hands. It did for this woman. And what Jesus wanted this woman to recognize, and what he wants every single one of us to recognize, is that deep down inside each and every single human being is a thirst for God. That's what that longing is that you feel. That's what that void is that you feel. That's what your soul yearns for. King David in Psalm 63 said it like this. Oh God, you are my God and I long for you. My whole being desires you. Like a dry, worn out and waterless land, my soul is thirsty for you. But according to Jesus in this interaction that we were able to listen into today, the God's honest truth is that we're trying to quench this thirst for God with everything but God. And this might be painful to admit, and this might make you uncomfortable, and this is going to require that you reprioritize your life, but the God's honest truth is that our attempts to quench our own thirst has only exacerbated the problem. Which is why Jesus says, let anyone, and when he says anyone, he means anyone, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. Because nothing will quench that thirst. Nothing will meet that need. Nothing will fill that void except for that relationship with Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. It is for that relationship. It is for that eternal life, that living water that we thirst. So what do you do with a message like this? What's the practical? If it's your first time, at Downtown Harbor Church. Every single week, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So in light of today's encounter, um, I'm just going to ask you one question. Has life left you thirsty? Has life left you thirsty? I mean, as you think about your life, do you find yourself on this endless quest to just meet that need? To fill that void, to, to, to quench this thirst? I mean, does, you, does your life feel like a hamster wheel? And you're just going and going and going, but you're not going anywhere. And nothing is getting better. You just keep doing the same thing over and over again because it's familiar. And it'll be there tomorrow but it's not quenching your thirst. If that's you, and if you have the courage, this takes courage, if you have the courage to embrace the God's honest truth about that thirst in your life, then you are a candidate for God's grace. You have an opportunity, like that woman, today, right now even, to drink deeply 
from Jesus's living water. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come here today to, to talk about this phenomenal story, Jesus. Lord, I'm so happy that you made it a point to go into a part of the world where people avoid it, to speak to a woman who others look down upon and whose life was quite frankly, a mess. And Lord, I believe that you went to that woman 2,000 years ago for us. Because every single one of us, Lord, has this struggle inside of us, this emptiness inside of us, this just a feeling that something is off and we do whatever we can to, to fix it, Lord. And sometimes we get involved with sex or drugs or alcohol. Maybe it's just even work or whatever the case, but nothing fully works, Lord. And I pray that today, that those of us here in this room who perhaps are yearning for something different, something better, I pray that they would have the courage to fill their bucket from the fountain of living water, God. Because you are offering us a relationship that can change our lives today and going into forever. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for your gift of Jesus. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.